Well, hello everyone and good morning and welcome. You know, this week as I was praying through uh, what God wanted to share with all of you, he brought to mind, but actually one of my favorite scripture verses from Philippians, it's uh, chapter four, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along, verses four through nine. And this is what it says. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord's near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow, you know, I, I don't know about you. I read that, I go, rejoice always? I mean, really, Paul? Are you kidding me? You, I mean, well, you have no, do you have any idea what you're asking? And I, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I'm pretty sure many people hearing this simply brush it aside as going, come on, that is so unrealistic and unfeasible. I mean, think about when you're having marriage problems or when your hopes have been dashed, when you receive a bad health report or dealing with family issues. You sit there and go, how can the Apostle Paul or even how can God expect us to rejoice? I mean, you look at it and go, it's impossible. Well, the reality is it is impossible. <laughs> for some people, but not us. You hear me? Not us. If though, this is a real big IF, if. Are our minds undergoing a process of renewal? See, what I mean by that is if, if our thinking hasn't changed since we became a follower of Jesus, you know, if we're still haunted by the same fears, the same kind of thoughts run through our minds all day that run through the minds of people who don't belong to Jesus, well, think about it, rejoicing in any circumstance is gonna be unrealistic. But if we're being renewed in the spirit of our minds, you know, as Paul states here in Ephesians 4, verse 22, he says, that in reference to your former way of life, you're to rid yourself of that old self, that old things used to be fearful of, all, the, all of that, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of, of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirits and in the spirit of your minds. You see, if we are being changed, transformed, by the renewing of our minds, also as Paul states in Romans 12, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If, the, if we do that, then rejoicing will not only be possible, it'll be happening all the time. Listen, how we think determines how we feel and how we act. So our minds are so critical to our success in our Christian life. You know, many of you know that my wife is a doctor of psychology. And in one of her books on psychology, it states this. It says, you know, the human brain is a wonderful thought-producing machine. It turns out millions of thoughts every day. Most of the time, this makes our lives, well, obviously much easier. But unfortunately, we can't fully control what our brain thinks about. And let me give you an example. The book goes, gives an example. It goes, imagine a picture of your favorite cartoon character, all right? Like Bugs Bunny. Snoopy, Superman, SpongeBob, SquarePants, or whoever, then close your eyes and see that character in vivid detail in your mind's eye. Remember exactly what it looks like. Then think about the character for about 15 seconds. Then for the next 30, now I don't want you to do that right now, but then for the next 30 seconds, try to do your best not to think about that character. Actually try to block that character from your thoughts you will be surprised by how often that character pops back into your thoughts. 
You see, it's impossible not to think about the character. In fact, the harder you try not to think about it, the more power you give to the image and the more your brain keeps bringing it back into your thoughts. You know, it's almost, it's almost as if the harder you try to forget something, the harder your brain tries to remember it. This is why forcing yourself to forget about something that happened to you, well, if you think about it, it's impossible. It's also why you can't simply force yourself to get rid of emotions that you don't want. So instead of trying to force yourself to forget a memory or a thought, what you need to do is to try to distract your thoughts with other memories or creative images. There are different parts of our brain here which perform different functions in the collection and storage of information. When the mind uses that information, it does what it's really in a large part it's called storying. That's right, S-T-O-R-Y-I-N-G. Storying, telling a story. Humans use stories to categorize and contextualize information. Information that would be practically useless without the God-given ability to make stories of what we're seeing and, and what's happening to us. The way that we process a marriage problem, a poor health report, the current political climate in this country, it's through stories. That means if we use the wrong stories, well, we're going to wind up going wrong. Here, I'll, maybe it'll help with, with an illustration. Here's an illustration then. A jet crash lands on an island in the South Pacific. The survivors scramble off the plane and they wait ashore. And then someone shouts, there are blankets and clothing and food. It's all in the cargo hold. Well, as soon as the significance of that dawns on the people, everyone tries to get, be the first one to get to the provisions, afraid of maybe not getting their share. So people are stuffing bread and pretzels and meat and paper towels and toilet paper, right, in their shirts and trying to get ashore without their fellow castaways knowing that they have provisions. Because you know why? Everyone is afraid of starving. Well, disgusted by the ride on a beach, a husband and wife decide to explore the island. What they find just over the first hill surprises them. There are cows and chickens everywhere. Must have been brought there by a shipwrecked vessel maybe a decade ago or more. There are fruit trees, pineapples. The valley is full of them. There are even cases of dry food rations that must have been left behind when those first castaways were rescued. It must have been. So instead of trying to stuff a chicken and a pineapple into their shirts, they return to the beach and are shouting the good news to everyone and sharing the things that they brought back. So why the difference? You see, the one group is telling themselves a story of scarcity and hunger, while the other is telling themselves a story of provision and plenty. Now, one of the things to notice that the panic of the people uh, that, that they felt on the beach, it's real. But the story they were telling themselves was false. That's how the stories we tell ourselves work. They affect the way we act and feel and think. But it's even more than that. The stories are the way we think, at, at, at least in large part. Let me give you a more example. As Mary and I are walked around our neighborhood, in the mornings here, we run into a lot of the same people. And we've developed new friendships. And, and with some others, they're just, you know, hello, morning hellos, or short conversations. And I gotta tell you, we've logged a lot of miles in a year. I mean, I think we average three to four miles a day, right? Well, times 365 days, you can put the math to that. I think I wore out three pairs of walking shoes. 
But during the COVID-19 crisis and going through the whole election and all the civil unrest and social media issues, the press, you know what the story many people are telling themselves? It's one of misfortune, loss, and death. How do you think that affected the way they felt and acted? Well, you already know, right? It's feelings of anxiety, sleeplessness, anger, accompanied by panic buying, hoarding, arguments. But you see, when we came to Christ, our story got written into his story, which is not one of misfortune, loss, and death, but it's a story of love and courage and glory. Look, at that doesn't mean we won't have troubles. I mean, just read the list of Paul's hardships in 2 Corinthians, right? In chapter 11, he talks, he, Paul says, I've worked so much harder than other people. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. You see, it, it, but it does mean that whatever is happening in our part of the story, it's being written into a bigger, better story. Do you understand? It's the best story ever by the best author ever with the best ending ever. So the instruction to rejoice always, seemingly impossible on the surface, is entirely doable when our minds are being renewed. You know, next the Apostle Paul says in verse 5, he says, Let your gentle spirit be made known to all people. I have to tell you, one of the conversations Mary and I had during our morning walks with a few of our neighbors was one about the nastiness and the narcissism one finds right now on cable news and social media. That, I mean, it's definitely the opposite of gentleness. So I don't want you to miss this here, okay? We can blame the COVID-19 crisis for being forced to quarantine, wear masks, and all the stress it caused for our lack of our gentleness, but it didn't create it. It only brought out what was there all along. But there's a way not only to act gently, but to be gently. But once again, it requires us undergoing the process of being renewed in our minds. Look, we're not going to act like Jesus until we start thinking like Jesus. <laughs> Let me say again, we're not going to start acting like Jesus until we start thinking like him. We'll never think like him unless we're being renewed in our minds and in our spirits. And that means that we need to be renewed in the stories. Do you get it that we're telling ourselves? We need to think in God's story. You see, the foolhardy news people and those on social media are thinking in stories, but they're stories of disrespect and misuse. It's not God's story. Look at whenever our story wanders from God's story, we start believing we have to be in control. But when our story tracks with God's story, I hope you're hearing me here, he's in control. <laughs> Do you realize how important that is? See, that's why Paul adds in verse 5, he says, the Lord is near. When that's what we think, the Lord's nearness and our thoughts and his protection, his love for us, his resolve to make everything right, then we won't need to be in control. And we won't get angry when things don't go our way. We can be gentle and forego our rights and confident that the Lord's going to make things right. Look, just all these months with the whole deal with the property and everything that's gone on and back and forth, the reality is we need to rejoice knowing God's in control of all this stuff. We're in his story. 
You know, this next statement of Paul seems the most impossible of all, though. In Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. It's like, wow, I don't know about you. I've struggled with that one. And I bet you have, too. Do you know that word translated, be anxious? It's actually comprised of two roots. The first means part or section. And the second has to do with a memory or stored thoughts. So you see, worry sections off our minds. And here's the thing, it shuts out God. It removes God from the story. You see, the way to deal with worry is bring God back into our story, or even better yet, bring ourselves into his story. Because his story is about love, restoration, power, patience. You know, maybe, maybe you're sitting there right now and you're asking yourselves, well, how do I bring myself into God's story? Well, we do, it begins with prayer. Philippians 4, 6, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do you understand in prayer, we restore our lives with Jesus. Instead of demanding, did you ever do this? Instead of demanding that Jesus do something, okay, we make known our needs to him and expect him to do something because we know whose story we're in. Okay, instead of worrying about ourselves, we present ourselves to be part of God's story. But we'll never accomplish this while we're filling our minds with anger and fear and greed that describes our society at large. We must, as Paul tells us in Philippians 4.8, he tells us this is what you need to do. This is the answer, folks. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You understand what he says? Stop thinking about everything else. Paul said, thinking about these things. I've got to tell you, you're more likely to find those things that Paul just told us in the Bible than you're ever going to find on social media, which means that if you're spending more time on social media than the Bible, you're at a risk for resentment pettiness, and worry. There are, of course, I mean, other things that are worthy of our thinking, but there are also things that feed our anger, nurture our fears, inspire our greed. He went through eight virtues Paul mentions there. So let me look at each one briefly. First, he said, whatever is true. You see, truth is whatever conforms to the gospel and the revelation of God's will in his word. Paul's urging us that we are to think and meditate on the truth with regard to Paul, man, the church, the world, sin, redemption, relationships, etc. As Christians, we should avoid feeding ourselves with things that are deceptive or false. They must be committed to finding and meditating. This is so important. God's truth so we can take it to heart and let it guide our lives. Then Paul says, whatever is honorable. You know, by this word, he has in mind whatever is dignified, whatever invokes respect and reverence, instead of what is rude and frivolous and trivial, to do what fits us as image bearers of God, as citizens of heaven, children of God. Then he says, whatever's right. You see, that's to say whatever is in accord with godly standards of right and wrong. And Paul says, hey, whatever is pure. 
It's the purity of our thought and deed and words. He's calling us to fix our thoughts on those things that are untainted by evil and moral corruption. Then Paul goes and make sure whatever is lovely, focus on that. He's, here he's focusing on whatever brings forth or invokes love, admiration, and is pleasing to the heart and according with righteousness. Listen, this is the only time this word occurs in the Bible, by the way. It's the only time that word occurs, lovely. And Strong's Coordinates says, it's something that is worth the effort to have and embrace. You know, one commenter defined it as those things whose grace attracts. So lovely. And then he went on to say, whatever is commendable. That is to say, whatever is praiseworthy, appealing. Hey, look, whatever is worthy and avoids giving offense. He's talking about deeds and thoughts that by their very nature move people to admiration and in praise. In the classic Greek, it meant a good omen or a good report. Biblically, it's things that we should praise because they're approved by God. Like when a friend at work became a follower of Jesus or when someone with money gives generously to a good cause, when forgiveness is granted, when a movie portrays nobility or truth, when justice wins, when broken relationships are mended, when someone promotes purity instead of self-control, when the addict celebrates another year of sobriety, when a crumbling marriage heals, or when that prodigal child comes home. And then on the seventh one, he said, if there is anything excellence, you know, God calls us to excel, to do all within our power and by his grace to pursue and produce the very best. But there's a huge difference between excellence and professionalism and performance. Excellence is doing everything to the best of one's ability as enabled by God in such a way that no one is distracted by it or is tempted to give credit to anyone else but the Lord. Professionalism and performance are man-centered and they're concerned with drawing attention to themselves. The pursuit of excellence should always be directed towards God. And then number eight, if there's anything worthy of praise, that's what he said, the sort of contact that wins the affection and admiration of others, even non-Christians. And what's our responsibility? It's to think on, such, on, on these things. What does Paul ask us to do on all eight of these? He goes, I need you to reflect on them. I need you to think about these. I want you to ponder them, meditate on them, dwell on them. It means to carefully take into account and reflect on these attributes and virtues so that one's conduct will be shaped accordingly. Don't miss this. We're responsible for what we let into our minds. Let me say that again. We're responsible for what we let into our minds. And one final thing. The renewal of our minds doesn't happen as we sit relaxing at home. In fact, it's impossible to continue thinking rightly unless we're acting accordingly. So when Paul adds in Philippians 4.9, he says, As for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Our well-intentioned thoughts will fade into oblivion unless we act on them. To pray right, to think right, to act right is the key to experiencing the peace of God and living with the God of peace. So let me close 
with the scripture that we've been talking about all morning. Just listen. Let it penetrate your heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all people. The Lord's near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God. Boy, does our world name need that, right? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, it's going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, Paul says, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you all. So let me just close for us here in prayer. I hope that the Lord has touched you today to realize we can rejoice in all situations with him, knowing we are part of his story, okay? Ultimately, we win, okay? Remember, God's word starts in a garden and we end in a garden city, friends. And everything in between is God taking his people to make that to come to fruition and for each and all of us to become everything he created us to be. So, Father, we just uh, want to thank you today for, for your word. Uh, Lord, I just pray that it's penetrated the hearts that so desperately needed to hear that there is nothing to be anxious about, but just to buy all things by prayer and thanksgiving to make their requests be known to make their requests and prayers be known to you, and you will bring them peace and comfort in their situation. So, Lord, thank you for this time together, and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, that's right. Amen. God bless all of you.